The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. One can't help but think about how quickly the retail automotive industry has evolved over the last two to three years. By my best guess, the pandemic has moved us forward by at least five years, maybe more, and has really underscored the importance of people, process, and product. And I mean, look, there's nothing quite like a chip shortage and an employee shortage to drive that message home. However, we're also seeing a shift in consumer demand with online retailing as a big push. And of course, with governments and automakers making big plays in electrification. Joining me today is Chris Pochreiter, the a VP at Automotive Mastermind. He has rich experience in the global retail auto industry, working with automakers in both North America and South Africa. My man, Chris, thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook. Thank you, Michael. It's awesome to be here. Appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Uh, now, how well did I do? How well did I do on that last name? 10 out of 10, I would oh, say. Man. Definitely. I mean, it's an Afrikaans surname. Um, I'm born and raised English. I even struggle at the best of times. So <laughs> I think you pulled it off. <laughs> does, does Afrikaans have like a German influence behind it? It definitely has a German-Dutch, kind of that guttural okay. gotcha. language. Not, not the most uh, pleasant to the year. Well, you <laughs> definitely know, not I the guess French, definitely not the Spanish. Yeah. I guess it depends. You know, years ago, I um, went and did missionary work in the Philippines and learned to speak one of their dialects. Um, and I remember coming home and I was filling out an application for school and it asked if I spoke any other languages. So, of course, I put Cebuano in, which was the dialect. And basically, the system came back and was like, no, no, it's got to be a real language. Like, what, <laughs> what's the real language? And I was like, oh, no. Anyways, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I'm excited to chat with you about the, the climate of the auto industry today. I mean, obviously, today is where I want to start, right? There's a lot, there, there was a lot of excitement around GM's recent keynote at CES where they, you know, showcased the new electric Silverado and they even made some mention of autonomy. And I mean, of course you go on LinkedIn and all of the dealers are very excited about this and Ooh, e look electrification and new Silverado and all of these sorts of things. Okay. And my mind immediately went to, but what about today? I mean, in order to get to tomorrow, I must pass through today. And I think that's where I want to start, right? We see that automakers are limiting supply to dealers who are obviously selling the vehicles, but then there's the catch 22 because if there's nothing to sell, how do I sell it in order to get more supply? And so I'm, I'm just kind of curious from your experience, from what you've been able to, to now witness and, and of course, drawing on your past experience, what are perhaps some things dealers could be doing today to get creative, maybe to mitigate or offset the supply chain and then, of course, get creative working with the, the resources that are at their disposal today to perhaps acquire or keep the ball moving forward. Right. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, supply is definitely a hot topic right now. And it has been for a couple of months. Um, on the mastermind side, we've come out and 
um, essentially pivoted our offer. So, you know, up until very recently, it's really been known by the dealers as a, as a new vehicle sales and marketing platform. And we have piggybacked off that platform and now um, have started to expand that offer. So what I mean by that is, you know, conquest acquisition. How do dealers uh, use this technology to go out and identify other customers within their market that they didn't originally sell the vehicle to um, and market to them, but not necessarily to even sell them a new car, but just to acquire that that vehicle. Um, and I think dealers have been doing that together with service to sales acquisition, kind of thinking about the service drive. How do I identify the right cars in my in the lane, in the service drive, and uh, put forward a really good offer to that customer where maybe that customer doesn't need that second or third vehicle in the household anymore because they work in remotes, they're not commuting quite as much, right. um, and they're able to loyalize their customers. I think that's really what it's coming down to is how do we keep those customers that we have sold to that are part of our portfolio uh, and keep them loyal to the dealership. I think that's really probably top of mind for most dealers nowadays. Yeah, it's interesting because it it really underscores for me the importance of people in this whole mix. Like I've always felt like the retail auto industry in particular, I mean, I've been in the industry now since I was about 16, so it's really all I kind of know. But I've I've always been fascinated by this concept of the shiny object. And over the years, especially as a creator of, uh, you know, a so-called shiny object, the conclusion that I've come to is that the best tools in the world won't work unless I do. Right. Like I use the analogy of going to Home Depot and purchasing the most expensive hammer, the shiniest, nicest looking hammer I could find. And that darn thing still won't hang pictures on the wall unless I pick it up <laughs> and hammer some nails into the wall, that sort of a thing. And so I think you're right. It's really interesting to, to be able to look or peer inside the dealership and, and say, okay, well, we need to develop a process. So I guess my next question to that point is what kind of offers are, are you seeing any offers that are working better than others to not only acquire the vehicle, but perhaps really enforce the importance of loyalty, like human-to-human relationship building? Right. I think, I mean, to your point, this is all about proactivity. It's about actually understanding the context in which we sit today. Um, I think all the dealers definitely understand that for sure. Um, And then thinking about, you know, what do the next six months look like? Because for many of the customers, you know, independent of what tool they're using, they're going to know, which customers' uh, leases are due in the next six months. And I think it's about being proactive, engaging the BDCs, having those sales meetings, talking about um, the portfolio and which customers might be coming off lease in the next six months and having those conversations today versus waiting for that call from the customer saying, hey, but I've just got a call from my financial services division. This car's lease is up next week. What car do you have for me? So I think it's about that proactivity and that, you know, that could be outbound calls, it could be emails, it could be, um, you know, the predictive type of marketing that we run in cam- campaigns. Um, but I think it's really just having, you know, a- as we know in the US, it's really been a bull to stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, that has changed very quickly in the last couple of months. And I think the, the dealers, I mean, to their credit, are very entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial by nature, and they've been able to adapt very quickly to this. Um, and have changed their processes to be more proactive, reaching out to customers, 
Um, and I think that's, that's working really well for them. Yeah. And, and to kind of piggyback on that, it, it has been very, um, inspiring, I would say to see how quickly what we used to think was a sleepy old industry just snapped into gear and said, Hey, we got to meet some demands here. And, and, you know, as I kind of uh, of alluded to earlier, I really feel like the last two years in particular has probably forced whether we wanted to or not has forced us forward by at least five years in the sense that, you know, we, we had to get creative with zoom calls and FaceTime and messenger and, and, you know, doing at home deliveries and, and all of these sorts of things. And I think what it's helped dealers realize is that they already have many of the tools and resources they need in order to have a much more frictionless, uh, um, process and i'm wondering if you're seeing the same thing on your end yeah i agree i think it's definitely been a catalyst um to your point they've adapted very quickly to this um and i think you know a lot of this was going to change anyways um it's just been a bit of a force factor to happen sooner rather than later and sometimes we need that you know um it's it's often easier kind of you know doing what we used to um, and I think naturally everyone is a little resistance to change. So I think that this has been one of those force factors that have pulled forward what was going to be inevitable. Um, it's digital retailing. Um, it's, you know, it's not keeping so many vehicles in stock in this case because, you know, not, they haven't got that option right now. Right. Um, but I think that this will actually change how, um, how we as an industry in the U.S., uh, sell vehicles, stock vehicles. Um, and I think that gone are the days of having, you know, a couple hundred vehicles in new, new, new car inventory. I think this right. is just in kind of, a, yeah, this, this is, this is, this will be written down in the history books. And I think this will also serve deal as well. I mean, they can run a much leaner organization. They're not going to be having significant full plan expense, um, and be, just be more generally proactive with customers and also communicating with them, probably using technologies that, um, will be expected uh, from the new vehicle buyers in the future as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I told you I wasn't, I, and I promised Nikki I wasn't going to throw you any curveballs. Sure, but here's a curveball for you. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you that you look like Robert Pattinson, the <laughs> famous actor? No, no one has. I've this would be a Justin great Bieber. time for Nikki to come back in here and support me on this. I just, I just had to say, Nikki, does he not resemble Robert Pattinson? I can see it a little bit. We got to get a little. We got to give him a little blonder. But I can see it. Can you not? I'm sitting here this whole time. We're talking automotive, and I almost came up with a line of questioning about the upcoming Batman movie. For <laughs> yeah, I'm looking a little bit of a Rob Lowe look going to it. Yes, <laughs> we could talk about the Outsiders, <laughs> the OG Rob Lowe. I just had to. I just had to say it. So ca- ca- call me crazy, but I'm just. I'm sitting here and I'm like, do I have a crush on this guy? What's happening? Right now? I'm getting a Robert Pattinson. Okay, so let, let I'll bring this back around to automotive. I promise. So so let's move into the because that you're you're right. It's all going to come down to process. No matter how you dice it, sure process is unsexy to some, 
but it is the thing that's going to drive us forward through today and into tomorrow. One of the things that, that, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing some of the automakers, Mike Colleron from Nissan Global, and I've asked him about electrification. And this is where I want to kind of pivot the conversation. Um, if that's okay, yeah. I wanted to get a sense from him how long the automakers have been pursuing and or thinking about EVs. And, and really the point was I needed to get across the fact that usually where the rubber meets the road, we're constantly trying to react. And, and so I'm glad that the industry reacted the way it did to the pandemic and at home and all of these sorts of things because they reacted very quickly. And then of course, like you had said, that forced us to kind of evolve. But then you look from the automaker perspective, and I know you've got you've worked with BMW. Mike at Nissan was saying that they've been thinking about it for at least two decades and pursuing it and toying with it and poking at it. Was it the same? You know, did you see that kind of same um, level of looking into the future um, with your experience at, at working with automakers? And how do we, in your opinion, start to get dealers? where rubber meets the road to think that far in the future so that we're not necessarily always reacting, but to your point, being much more proactive in our approach. Right. I mean, um, I'm thinking back to already my time. I joined the BMW group. Um, like I mentioned, I'm an automotive mastermind now, but I joined the BMW group straight out of university back in 2010. Um, and one of the cars that I was able to take home was the Mini E. And before that, there was the Active E as well, I think. You guys had that here in the States. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's already more than a decade ago. And before that, there were other experimental vehicles out there. Um, you know, at that point of time, you were in the Mini Cooper or the One Series, you were having, you know, a good amount of range. Um, there obviously wasn't the infrastructure ready to support um, kind of the mass market for that. But I think the technology was already there. Um, right. The market wasn't, though. And there's a whole... You know, there's many factors at play. You need to be thinking about the consumer market. You need to see how um, the technology, if it's ready for the infrastructure as well, that's on the ground. And every market is very different. I mean, I think the number one selling uh, model in Norway at the moment is is Tesla and electric vehicles. I mean, EVs take up a significant uh share of the pie when it comes to new vehicle sales here in the US. I think we still ended 2021 around less than 10%, about 8% of new vehicle sales. Um, so I think that there's many different factors at play. Um, you know, from my time at the BMW Group, um, we had launched the i3 about a decade ago um, at this point. Um, the i8 followed up soon after that. And I think it's really always just kind of that balancing act. When is the right time? When is the consumer going to be ready? When is it going to be supported by the infrastructure? And also from a dealer mindset as well. So that, you know, there's kind of three different pieces right. to this puzzle. Um, right. And I think that we're getting very close to um, kind of prime time. Um, you see that today. And I think Tesla as well, particularly for us in the US, has again been one of those catalysts to create this change and, and kind of force um, the rest of the OEM brands to, you know, kind of perk up, perk up or be more aware of that and prove that there is truly a market there 
and consumers are ready for this technology. So I think you kind of now is that time to start um, thinking about how or knowing that this is this is the beginning and it's going to start scaling and it's going to scale pretty quickly from now on. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned something earlier that that I want to just draw on for a minute: smaller dealership footprints. So th- this is something that I've felt for quite some time. In fact, we so we've been producing the show now for n- going on nine years, um, and I'm like a grandpa of a podcaster at this point. But I remember years ago as we were contemplating the future and what would dealerships look like, I always felt strongly that dealerships would take on a smaller footprint. Maybe service departments would get bigger, but showrooms would get smaller floor plans would get smaller because we would be able to, you know, well, and we actually, I don't know if it was a BMW or something. I just saw on LinkedIn, the first vehicle that can change color dynamically. Yeah. I did see that. that was, did I mean, you see that? One of the announcements at CES from BMW as well. Yeah. Okay. So from BMW. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is really intriguing because back years ago, before any of this was even on anybody's radar, as far as, pandemic and how far are we going to move into the future and electrification and all that kind of stuff. I really felt like it would be smaller showrooms where there would be one of each model that you could look at, but that it could perhaps now back then I thought maybe there would be some sort of spotlights that could change its color dynamically. But now we're seeing technology where, you know, push of a button, a vehicle can change its entire appearance, its entire, you know, color scheme. And then that's basically how we would work. And then dealerships today largely would become kind of like the Tesla model where you walk in, you're like, oh, there's the Silverado, there's the F-150, there's the, you know, the, the BMW, whatever. I like it. I can sit in it. I can throw on some VR goggles and test drive it. Right. I can see it in the color I want and then I order it and it shows up at my door. And by and large, things are really starting to move into that direction. From your perspective, though, maybe your opinion, what are things that dealers could be doing today to prepare for that? But also while, you know, spinning the plates of the needs of today. Yeah, I mean, I think it's for dealers, obviously, there's this massive capital investment that's gone into the buildings and the facilities and the constant updates that also need to get made to that. And I think that the kind of the, the square footage of that showroom um, has, it's always a bit of, again, a bit of a balancing act because um, OEM portfolios in terms of the product offerings have grown. I mean, um, if, you th- if you think about all these little niches that have been carved out, whether it be... Um, sport activity vehicles, sport activity coupes. Um, you've got kind of these crossover or cross betweens or crossovers between a, a regular sedan and an SUV product as well now for many of the makes. Um, so I think being able to have and showcase every one of the vehicles that have been offered by a brand is, is almost impossible today. Um, so right. I think integrating um, these type of augmented realities that you were talking about, whether it be, um, you know, configure vehicle configurators on an iPad or, you know, hopefully in the future we do see some type of VR integration. I'm sure that's going to come. And I would even question whether there's going to be a need to go into that showroom to, to see that uh, VR version of a vehicle. You can just maybe plug in at home and see that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's, there's so many tools out there today and I think dealers have done a 
fantastic job with updating their websites, um, making sure that their inventory is displayed on those vehicle uh, display pages, and um, and also you know photographing these vehicles really well. I mean, when it came to me personally after leaving BMW and now having to actually go out and purchase a vehicle myself, um, truth be told. You know, I did a lot of online research. I looked at a lot of content that, you know, third parties were putting out there on YouTube. Um, and I kind of made up my mind before even physically visiting the dealership in terms mm-hmm. of what I could, you know, what I was going to buy. Um, and I think that, you know, dealers that are using platforms like YouTube, uh, dealers that are putting content out through social media, whether it be an Instagram, um, just creating that awareness and showcasing what they have for their local community, um, I think that that's what they could be doing already today using the technology that's in place because I think that most consumers are spending 90% of that journey in a digital, uh, in the di- digital world versus going into the showroom today, mm-hmm. especially with COVID. Yep. Um, and, and you bring up a good point because I think about my last two vehicle purchases, um, I purchased my truck because, I mean, it's Alberta, oil, country, and cattle, and prairie. You got to drive a truck. <laughs> nice. I'll get uh, one of those one day. Yes. Yeah, you, you'll have to rip, rip my F-150 out of my cold, dead hands <laughs> is how I feel about that truck. But it was similar to your experience. It was a lot of YouTube. It was, hey, looking at the dealer website, looking up, oh, what package is that? Okay, now I'm going to go YouTube that package and see what it includes. And and I think it's a generational thing by and large because there's, there's a group of people um, – not just in the industry, generally speaking, who say, no, how could I ever be in a position to make that big of a purchase without ever stepping foot into it or touching it or adjusting the seat? Then I look at my generation. I was born in 82. So I'm like, what? I'm like the first year of the millennial, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm old enough to, to be down with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but old enough to have still appreciated watching MASH on yeah. TV. You know, like I'm like <laughs> I'm in this weird. So. Pretty yeah, close. okay, so you get it. So, so, <laughs> but my last vehicle purchase, after I had acquired all of that information, I think because computers and technology have been a pretty big part of my life since I would say at least 11 or 12 years old, right? Internet in the home, computers, all these sorts of things. It's been easier for me to adopt new technology than even, you know, siblings of mine that are four or five years older than me. Right. And and so when it came time to purchase this truck, I basically found the one I wanted. I found, you know, the dealer who who had the one that I wanted and I messaged them and said, I want this one. Can you deliver it to my driveway? And we worked it. And four days later, after going through, you know, doing their approval and all that kind of stuff, the, the truck is in my driveway. Um, contrast that against my, my second most recent vehicle purchase where I'm a complete lay down. And I say this and we joke about it in the, uh, on the podcast, I, wh- like, because I know what I want. Yeah. And I get the stimulation I need from YouTube and from, like, I can, I, it, I don't know. I guess my point is I'm rambling a little bit. My point is because I'm so accustomed to technology, I, don't feel like I actually need to go and sit in and drive and whatever. It's like, I already know what the experience is going to be like. And so I can just say that one, please. Yeah. And I, th- I mean, 
that's definitely, I would say, you and I are similar in that regard. There's obviously customers out there that want to be able to test drive the vehicle. They're going to be buying that vehicle for cash. Um, I didn't. I was with, you know, the typical 12,000 miles a year, three-year lease. And so it's right. more of a long, longer-term rental. Um, but I think as we start to think about the future buyers, um, particularly those that would be the early adopters of electric vehicles, um, we need to think about, you know, what, what is, what is the experience? Um, yeah, you know, how are they experiencing other goods and other services in their day to day life? And right. for many of them, especially those early adopters of EVs, they're going to be shopping online. They're going to be using Amazon. They have been for many years. They're going to be, you know, ordering their food from DoorDash. They're going to be u- using like Fresh Direct. You know, they're going to be living in a much more digital world. Um, and having that presence online for dealers, I think, you know, I think most recognize that today, but I think that's going to play a more and more important role as, you know, new, new, new consumers start entering this market. You know, those born in the nineties, early two thousands, et cetera. Um, right. because that's just been part of their life. Um, so I think, I think it already all starts with awareness. Um, Money follows attention, and I think that as much as we spend time on the physical uh, location of these dealers, and you know, it doesn't really matter which brand you look at today. Most of the the showrooms are um, fantastic, super high end, nice and premium. But I think that as much attention and focus and investment goes into that, dealers should also be thinking about you know what, how am I represented online? Um, what content am I putting out on YouTube? What does my social media look like? Um, how do I involve myself and become a influencer as well in this digital space? And that could also be participating in things like podcasts. I think there's a fantastic uh, platform to do that. I mean, it's probably the most authentic version of digital marketing out there um, yeah. and developing their brand. Love it. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How can those listening get in touch with you? the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn um, Chris Portita as you said um, you'll be able to find me there I'm currently working for Automotive Mastermind so we'd love to connect with any of your listeners amazing thanks so much for joining me thanks Michael I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.